Welcome to C3 Belconnen. You're about to hear a message from Pastor Nick Hind. Really looking forward to starting a brand new series uh, with us this week. And it's a little while since we've done a series, actually. I want to just take us on a bit of a journey across the rest of the month of May, unpacking some issues and some ideas around the, the concept of identity. We actually called this series Identity Theft, and we'll get uh, in a moment to, to why we're actually leveraging off that thought in particular. But uh, let's go on a journey together. We're going to look at this in a bunch of different ways across these weeks, including uh, on Mother's Day, and really looking forward to it. You know, when it comes to the idea of identity, there are some big challenges for us at the moment. And I've noticed a big challenge in our house, and that's with our poor dog. Our dog, I think, is going through an identity crisis right now. This dog has been, it loves people. So she's been, uh, you know, loving the fact that, that uh, she has to see us in the morning and then hang out in the evening. But now we're around all the time. We're in her space. She's like all those memes you're seeing. She's getting way more walks than she is normally comfortable with. And uh, so we've got this dog that doesn't know what's going on. We're even doing strange things uh, like getting together as a family in the lounge room and doing PE sessions, you know, with someone on YouTube. And so we're all running around in circles doing sort of weird bunny hops and things. And the dog literally just sits in the middle watching us, wanting to be with us, but terrified of these weird people doing this weird stuff in her lounge room. And you see, what's happened is all the normal guideposts have changed. All the normal markers, the, uh, the things that count have actually shifted. And the reality is it's not just an issue for our dog. I actually think it's a big deal for so many of us right now. I've got to tell you, it's a big deal for me. I've been really struggling and challenged with having so many of the normal markers in my world removed at this time. And I've got to tell you, there's days when it's really gotten to me. Days when I've been asking those sort of questions where you're thinking, what is this all about? What am I doing? How am I effective anymore? Um, what are all the things that, that used to define me? Where have they gone? Uh, we've felt like at moments it's, uh, you know, it's always been as if, hey, church just kind of evaporated. Uh, so how, are we pastors just of the world now on the internet? Um, how, does, how does this all work? Where are the people that we love, that we want to connect with, that we want to really touch down with? And we're missing you guys. And it's, it's strange and hard and challenging at times. I'm used to going to an office, working in a certain environment, uh, running with a certain kind of routine. And as that has shifted and disappeared from my world in a lot of ways, I've found it has allowed a bunch of weird thoughts into my head, a bunch of questions and thoughts around identity and value and worth. And where all of these things sit, how I define myself. And so it's really challenged me to, I guess, go deep on this and think and pray a lot more about it and see what God says about it. Now, I really don't think I'm alone in this. I really think there are a lot of people right now for whom this is a bit of an issue. Uh, I think there's a lot of guys at home, you're used to going out and, and putting on your, you know, your productivity hat and being defined by what you do and how you get it done. You're used to you know, maybe being in control or at least thinking that you are. And you know, all of a sudden, things are looking really, really different. You used to you know, have a corner office and now you're working out of a walk-in wardrobe because it's the only place you can get some sort of peace and quiet. You know, there's 
there's so many challenges here. And I think there's some significant issues that are, are affecting people's sense of identity that I want to touch on uh, for a few moments today. In fact, I actually want to call out something that I think is going on that's really significant. What, what I've uh, discovered is that in amongst the, the general concern, uh, there are some issues that are, people are being attacked on and hit with that, that could uh, be misplaced, could be missed, but are incredibly significant. You see, it's weird with all our focus uh, on this sort of global pandemic. I've noticed there are some big deals going on in people's lives that have nothing to do with that. People going through deep health crises or, or other issues in their world, and it almost seems like those things don't matter anymore. This is a really weird place for us to find ourselves, but it's actually not as unusual as we might first think. You see, the Bible tells us in John 10, verse 10, that the thief, this is Jesus talking, he's the thief, the, the devil comes to steal and to kill and destroy. But Jesus has come that we may have life to the full. That's life with a sense of worth and a sense of value, living out all God has called us to. But let's just, just backtrack a second. There is a thief, there is an enemy who is in the business of lying and stealing and cheating and deceiving. You know, we watched a couple of movies with the kids over the last little while, and we introduced them to some classics. One of them uh, was Ocean's Eleven, and of course, then they wanted to watch Ocean's Twelve. Now, probably dating myself by uh, mentioning those. Uh, some of you might not have even watched it. If you haven't, that's your homework. Go do that, okay? Great movies. But what's going on there is there's this, there's this deception at play. These are a bunch of sort of suave-looking con men and professional criminals, and they create this massive distraction under which they perform this ingenious crime and, and rob a casino. Now, that's a fascinating thought because I actually think that's what's going on right now. I think under the cover of a genuine issue of a big crisis, what's happening is the enemy is going to work in different people's lives around this issue of identity. And that's what the devil does. He piggybacks on circumstances. He grabs a hold of maybe you at a low point and starts to magnify things in your world. We said in one of the first messages uh, that we did online, that fear is an amplifier. It amplifies anxiety and the challenges that we might be facing at times like this. And so you see, the enemy is crafty and he wants to insert his voice into your world in a time like this and start to bring doubt and uncertainty and fear into your world. And ultimately, what he wants to go after is your sense of identity, your understanding of who you are as a follower of Jesus. And this is one of the most foundational things for you and I to understand. The problem is that so often these lies that the enemy wants us to believe, they can actually seem quite true. So often these thoughts, they kind of drip feed into our minds. And after a while, they've worn these pathways in our thinking. And so we start to accept them as part of the truth of who we are. The really challenging thing is some of those, those ideas might be accurate, except when viewed through the lens of what Jesus says about you. Maybe you feel like you have failed in some areas. Maybe you feel like you're not cutting it. Maybe, maybe you have done some things that have disappointed others, yourself and God as well, but you've actually started to let that pathway, that thought path begin to define you. But actually the truth of what God says about you is that you are redeemed and you are forgiven and you are set free. You see, there are things that, that the enemy says that are not true. There are things that he'll piggyback on that might be true about our lives, except when viewed through and understood through the lens of what Jesus Christ has said about you and what he has done for you. 
And so we can begin to play up these thoughts and these mindsets and act like our identity is being shaped as we go along through life. I had a success over here, right? And then, oh no, there's a disappointment or a struggle over here. I've had a win over here, but then there comes a frustration and a hurt and something that's got a hold of me. And it's as if we're trying to patch together this identity as we go along and track through life. But actually what matters is what God has spoken about you, what he has declared about you and I from the very beginning. You know, the Bible actually says that before he created the universe, God mapped out your days. He thought about you. He dreamed you up and he planned and purposed your life for impact and significance, both in this life and to him. There is not a moment, not a part of your life that isn't significant to God. And this declaration was made about you before any of this other stuff, before anything trended, before anything was popular, before you started to try and bolt on all these thoughts and ideas to shape up your identity, before those negative thought patterns started to run through your world and got the best of you. Uh, you know, the, the challenge is, this is not just something that, that we face. This is actually something even Jesus himself faced. You know, Jesus was actually the ultimate declaration of how God sees you. God sent his best, for he so loved the world, for he so loved you, the person sitting in your seat, the person listening to this right now. For God so loved you that he sent Jesus. He didn't hold anything back. He gave his absolute best for you. That's his ultimate declaration about who you are. And what that means is that the devil is a defeated foe, that the enemy has no hold, he has no strength, he has no place except to start you to believe something other than God's truth for your life. This is the battle I'm facing right now. This is the battle I know so many of you are facing. We allow these, these thoughts into our minds. And so often they're not the really left of field ones that, that tell us something totally absurd about ourselves. So often it's not saying, hey, what's red is actually now blue. It's actually arguing about the shades, well, it's a little bit less red than you might think. And all of a sudden, you've found yourself moved all the way over here and you're thinking a totally different truth to what God actually says about you. This is exactly the same effort that the enemy made to really try and sabotage Jesus' ministry right at the very beginning. In Luke chapter 3, uh, we actually read about Jesus being baptized in the Jordan by his cousin John and this incredibly profound moment he has with his father in heaven. As he comes up out of the water of baptism, there is this voice from heaven that is heard and it says, this is my own dear son with whom I am well pleased. It's a, it's a fascinating thought if you, I guess, ponder it a little bit. God could have said, this is Jesus and he's going to do all these things. He is the new king. He is whole, totally in charge. He is mapped out you know, the game plan for everybody there. It would have felt like that would have been a way to get a jump on Jesus' mission. But actually what mattered most was that the Father in heaven affirmed who his son was, established his identity and his value. He said, this is my son and I am pleased with him. You know, shortly after this encounter, Jesus went out into the desert and he was tempted by the devil for 40 days and for 40 nights. And what you'll notice if you read into Luke chapter 4 is that Jesus spends this time being tested and tempted by the devil. And what the devil goes after is exactly what God has just established in his world. He challenges him and tests him on these areas where Jesus might have been tempted. Jesus answers with the word of God, which is a powerful uh, tool for you and I. 
But have a look at how the devil goes about it. He says, if you are the son of God, immediately doubling down and questioning that very thought of Jesus' identity, of who he is and how he matters to his father in heaven. If you are the son of God, then do this to prove it. Boy, is that a trap that you and I can find ourselves in, feeling like we've got to prove who we are. Maybe that's the issue for you right now. I've got to tell you, be honest again, that's one of the issues for me. These are the kind of thoughts going around in my head. If you are a leader, then how come you don't know what step to take next in amongst all of this craziness? If you are a boss, how come you haven't figured out how to redeploy all your staff in three days flat and redefine how everything works? If you are a man of God, how come you haven't been spending all this extra time that we supposedly have just on your knees in prayer? If you are, if you are, if you are, the thoughts, the questions that are going around in our heads. What was so powerful for Jesus was that the voice of his father was the loudest despite the fact that the enemy was trying to put these other thoughts into his mind and question this sense of identity, he had that booming voice in the back of his mind. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. And a hallmark of Jesus' ministry was that he didn't feel like he had to please everybody. He didn't feel like he had to do everything that everybody wanted of him. He was confident being who he was and knowing what his mission and his assignment was. So confident, in fact, that John's gospel records Jesus saying over and over again, I am. There are these seven I am statements of Jesus in John's gospel. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. All of these sort of statements that Jesus makes and for his hearers in those days, for the Jewish people, they would have harked back to what they knew of one of the first names of God that he established when dealing with his servant Moses. And God actually said, I am. It was one of the most powerful names for God in the Jewish tradition. And so Jesus is making this emphatic statement of his understanding of his identity, his value and his worth established by God. Now we're going to unpack these ideas more over coming weeks about where this identity comes from, some of the challenges that we face, how we can understand it better and and better. But just know that this is something that we need to have squared away in our worlds and it's one of the most prominent things that the enemy is going to come after. The question is, what are these words spoken over us that are going to be defining our worlds? So often the efforts of the enemy are not actually to take you out necessarily physically. You know, I haven't actually had many instances where as a pastor of a church, you know, the devil's tried to take me out by, you know, sending a a bus my way or something crazy like that. But so often it's around those thoughts of insecurity, inadequacy, the issues of identity, because those can become crippling. See, the devil is a defeated foe and his only uh, real trick in the game is to make you believe, you and I believe, something other than God's truth for our lives. He's got to play himself up. And it reminds me of a story in the Old Testament that I hope might give us a a way to put this into practice over these coming weeks. It's a story that you might know well, and it's about a, a guy called David and a giant called Goliath. And as we read the story of David and Goliath in 1 Samuel chapter 17, we see some incredible and interesting tactics used both by the enemy and by God and tools for you and I as his people to actually walk this out well in our day-to-day lives. There's a lot of trash talk going on in this set of circumstances. 
David is facing a battle potentially with a giant foe. David was a young man at this stage and we're told that this giant Goliath uh, was, you know, maybe up to about nine feet tall. So a pretty intimidating guy. But listen to the real picture here. Goliath was taunting and shouting uh, to the Israelites, it says in verse 8 of 1 Samuel 17. Why are you all coming out to fight? He called. I'm the Philistine champion, but you're only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, we'll be your slaves. But if I kill him, you'll be our slave. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. It says in verse 11, when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. It goes on to say that for 40 days, that's an interesting time period there and a repetition so often throughout the Bible of a time of testing. For 40 days, every morning and evening, this champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. I mean, just imagine that. There's a whole army and they have been literally mesmerized and diminished in their own eyes by the taunts of this one giant. It's actually one of the efforts of the enemy. He'll make you think you're isolated and alone. It's Goliath versus a whole army, but he's trying to personalize the fight. He's saying, I want to call one of you out. And it's me versus him. And I'm big and intimidating. I'm puffed up and proud. I'm armed and ready for battle. And I want to make this a personal fight. If we read on a little bit more, David uh, in verse 26, David just sort of looks around and says, what's actually going on? What will I get if I take this guy on? Who is this Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? See, David was already thinking differently to everybody else around him at that time. And he says to uh, the king, Saul at the time, he says, don't worry about this guy. I'll go out there and sort him out. Saul himself, the king actually says, you're only a boy. What can you do about this? And David actually does an incredible thing. He looks back to his past. He looks back to moments of deliverance with his God. And he says, I have done this. I have battled both lions and bears. He says this in verse 36. And I'll do it to this Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine as well. Then it goes on describing how David gets ready for battle. First, they try and put Saul's armor on him. And he says, no, that's not going to work for me at all. He says, I can't go in these. Uh, I'm not used to them. So he took them off. And then he picked up those stones out of the stream, put them into his shepherd's bag. It says in verse 40, then armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started out across the valley to fight the Philistine. You know, as he walks out towards uh, Goliath, who doesn't know that his end is about to come, this, this big Philistine giant starts to curse and to threaten David. He gets very personal. He says, he cursed him by the name of his gods. And he says, am I a dog that you come at me with a stick? He's picking on this, uh, this young boy who's coming out to fight him. And David turns around in verse 45 and says to him, you come to me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come to you in the name of the, the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you. Now, I don't know where you are at today, but I think there's a bunch of people, including myself, who need to know that today, the Lord will conquer, insert your situation. Today, the Lord will conquer your fear. Today, the Lord will conquer your anxiety. The Lord will conquer your doubts, your frustrations, that issue in your marriage, that tension with your children, your fears around your finances that are being amplified. Today, 
the Lord is going to go to battle for you. So David says in verse 47, this is the Lord's battle and he will give you to us. This is the Lord's battle. It's so good to remember that what the devil will try and do is make you feel small, insignificant and isolated. He's a defeated foe. Actually, he's like a mouse with a megaphone. Always playing up his importance, making you feel small when actually you serve the living God. And we're told in Romans 8 that Christ's victory is total and complete over all the works of the enemy. The devil will try and get personal, try and cause you to doubt who you are. He'll try and cause you to doubt what God says about you. He'll, he'll cause you to forget the victories of your past and focus on the frailties of your present only and bring fear uh, about the future. But in those circumstances, you and I have got to remember what God has already done for us. He's brought you this far. He's seen you through some tough times. He's brought goodness into your life. His promises for you are unending. Psalm 23 says, goodness and mercy will follow you. They'll chase you down and pursue you all the days of your life. doesn't mean that you and I won't face tough circumstances, that there'll be situations that might justifiably bring fear and uncertainty into our lives, but that doesn't define us. Instead of looking for those small moments that speak to our circumstances, remember the big picture of who your God is and what he says about you. That is where your identity really lies. Remember what God has already done for you. Draw strength from previous victories. Get faith rising in your spirit as you worship and pray and remember who God is. And then the third thing that we can do is just remember that the battle belongs to the Lord. Remember that you have got nothing to prove. God has already declared your value and your worth from age to age before he created the world and until eternity. And he sent Jesus to redeem you and to set you apart as his own. That's his ultimate statement of identity for you. His ultimate statement of your value and your significance and your importance. More than what you've achieved lately or haven't achieved. More than whether you feel like you're succeeding or failing. More than anything else. His statement of identity and value about you is wrapped up in who he sent for you. You know, the real price, the real value of something is actually found in what somebody is willing to pay for it. We might think our home is worth a certain amount. It's only worth what someone else is willing to pay for it. You know, those weird collectibles, baseball cards or other things that you find, you know, a comic book and a mint condition one is worth some amazing amount of money. Well, it's not. It's just a bit of paper with some ink on it, but it's worth what someone will pay for it. And God actually declared your value when he sent Jesus Christ. The Bible says that with the blood of Jesus, he ransomed you. He bought you with a price. He paid for you the highest price that could possibly be paid. And that is what sets your identity. That is what sets you apart if you're a follower of his. Ultimately, what Jesus came to do was to declare your righteousness if you would put your trust and your faith in him. The Bible says that he'll make you right with God, not because you've established this persona and strength and identity on your own, but because of who Jesus is and what that says about you. He gave his life for you and I. And you might already know that today. And I just want to take you back and make sure you're grounded in that fact before you face any of tomorrow's battles, before you're wrestling with what is going on and your sense of identity in this time. Remember that your value and identity is set by the price that Jesus Christ paid for you on that cross.
Thanks for listening to our latest Sunday message. If you would like to find out more about our church, visit www.c3belconnen.org.au.